Tonight I'd like to talk to you about the glory of sight and light, the light of salvation. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? This just transpired a few months back. Now, first I have to set it up and tell you the whole story. Back in 1995, Mary Ann Franco, lives in um, Okeechobee, Florida, was in a serious car accident. And it injured her and her spine, and consequently, as a result, it did something to the brainstem. She went blind from the accident. And she spent the, uh, the next 20 years living in a world of darkness, groping around her house with a cane. And then to make matters worse, she had the accident initially when she was 50, and 20 years later, actually 21 years later, when she was 70, she fell in her house, you know, which is more prone to happen when you're blind, and um, hit her head and injured her spine and in a lot of pain, and the doctor said, you know, you're going to have to have surgery. And so she finally, they set it up, and she went in, and she had the surgery on her neck. And while she was in the recovery room, she's still kind of coming out of the drugs, she said to the nurse, hey, you lady in the purple, please give me something for my pain. And her niece was sitting there and said, Aunt Mary, what did you say? She said, I like that lady in the purple. Give me something for my pain. And she said, First of all, how do you even see her, and how do you know what color she's wearing? Something happened during the surgery, and her sight came back. And what was amazing is prior to her accident in 2005, she had been colorblind all of her life. So her vision not only came back, but she, for the first time in her life, saw color. Uh, the doctor being interviewed uh, said he has no way of explaining this and he's very reluctant to admit it, but he said this is as close to a miracle as anything I've ever seen. And in her own words, um, she is so excited to have her vision. She says she can see her friends, her pets, and she has never laid eyes on her seven grandchildren to find out what they look like. Her chores have become easier. She deeply appreciates the simple things we all take for granted. With her eyes welling up with tears, she told the, uh, the news crew that was there, the sun is coming through the trees. Oh God, it is so wonderful to see. And she fully gives God credit and says it was a miracle that she went from blindness to sight. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, maybe when you're feeling melancholy, if you had to lose one of your senses, which one would you want to lose? And it doesn't take long for me to know the one that I would miss the most is my sight. I think someone said once about 80% of what comes into your brain comes through the avenue of your eyes. Light is so important, and yet much of the world is in darkness. Darkness will cover the land and gross darkness the people, friends, and we've never lived in a world where there was such darkness. It's strange because we're living in an age now where we have more artificial light than we've ever had before, and yet we have more darkness than we've ever had before. In the very beginning, darkness was on the face of the deep, but God's word spoke and light came into the picture. God wants to speak light into this dark world again, and he's going to do it through his people. 
And light is appreciated the most when it's the darkest. I remember reading about a boy in New Mexico back in 1901. His name was James White. And he was riding around looking for some missing cattle. And just around sundown, he thought he better turn around and give up his search. And he saw off in the nearby hills smoke rising out of the hills. And he thought, well, that could be a brush fire. I better see what's going on. So he rode over, and it turns out it wasn't smoke at all, but there was this vortex of bats, a virtual tornado of bats, so many of them that it looked like smoke, were just billowing out of this yaw in the earth. And he thought, I've got to check this out. Without telling his family, he came back a few days later to the, found the spot again, he took some barbed wire he brought with him and some sagebrush and he made a ladder and he descended into this gaping maw of the, in the earth and big old yawing chasm and he was the first modern person to see the inside of Carl's Bad Caverns. Well, that takes a lot of guts or recklessness, 16 years old. And he made several forays into it. It was such an adventure for him. He got, went in deeper and deeper. And one time he was way off with a lamp into the bowels of this dark cavern. And he ran out of fuel. And his light went out. Now, I don't know if you've ever been way down in a cavern or a mine and had your light go out. Sometimes my friends and I, matter of fact, we're going next month. Right? We kind of do this man thing where we get together a bunch of Christian men and we go out in the deserts of Nevada. We drive our trucks as far as we can and then we out, set up camp and we bring our quads with us, our four-wheelers, and then we go riding. We've gone as much as 100 miles in a day. We go exploring these old mines and I remember one year we went into these mines and we'd take our lights with us and old abandoned, they're just, I mean, they're just, they riddle the hills out there old abandoned mines and there's signs everywhere warning stay out and stay alive of course we don't pay any attention to that because it's a man thing there's no fun unless there's an element of risk can I have an amen oh come on you're supposed to amen get it men <laughs> it's not fun unless there's any danger involved the Lord made us to go forth and conquer subdue the earth and I remember we got off in the middle of the, one of these caverns one time. We kind of made a video. I hope it never finds its way to YouTube that we had discovered the lost Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> but um, we turned off our lights and we were hundreds of yards back in the, these mines. And it was so dark that you could not tell if your eyes were open or closed. Um, a, a cat wouldn't be able to see anything. Just inky blackness. And you know, that's how much of the world it is. They're just living in absolute darkness. One of my favorite verses is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That we're no longer strangers and pilgrims, but we're a nation of priests that the Lord has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And for me, Christianity and the Seventh-day Adventist message in particular is so precious because I remember growing up in a world where life had no purpose. 
just darkness. The only thing in life was to try and have as much selfish pleasure as you can because you're going to die. And any of the morals and values that people taught me to me seemed meaningless because I thought, what made you think that's right or wrong? There's no God. There's no purpose. Who puts you in charge? My right and wrong is just as good as your right and wrong. We're just highly developed organisms that have happened by chance over millions of years. What matters? Nothing matters. And so when you spend 15, 16 years of your life thinking there's no purpose to life and you're just wondering how you're going to die and turn back into fertilizer and you learn the truth that there's a God and there's a God that loves you and there's a purpose and you're made in his image, you didn't evolve from some monkey, everything changes. It's like somebody flips on the light. And it is so exciting, you want everybody else to know. But now the world seems to be evolving backwards and even the church could be going from light to darkness because what happens is through overexposure, those things that should offend us, we get to where we're used to it and it starts influencing our thinking. And little by little, you can get used to the dark. You can read in the Bible where it talks about Lot when he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said that he delivered, this is 2 Peter 2, 7, he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul. If it wasn't for Peter, we wouldn't even know Lot was righteous. That righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And as Solomon surrounded himself with pagan wives, that man that once loved the Lord and walked in the commandments of the Lord and built the temple of the Lord, his heart was turned away. Little by little, by being surrounded by evil influences. So how do we prevent ourselves and our values from being transformed into the values of the world? God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, but through constant exposure, we can get used to the dark. We can get where we can't see the difference. We get spiritual cataracts. You know, there are fish that live so deep in the ocean that no light penetrates, and they've lost the ability to use their eyes. Their eyes are just vestigial organisms. Organs, I guess you'd call them. There are salamanders that live in caves that through what you would call microevolution. The microevolution is not macroevolution. We don't believe in macroevolution. You all know what I'm talking about? Microevolution is where a rabbit up in the Arctic develops white fur and a rabbit in the desert has brown fur, but you can put them together and they can still make little rabbits. But there, there's things that happen. And um, these, they've lost the ability to see through the lack of use. These cave creatures. And you just wonder if that can happen to Christians. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4, Paul says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. For much of the world, the second coming is going to come as an overwhelming surprise. Jesus said, In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. And we need to be careful as Seventh-day Adventists because we console ourselves saying, We've got our eschatology. We've got, you know, when everything's supposed to happen, we're just going to watch the headlines and suddenly we're going to know, unless you're losing your sight, it can overtake you as a thief. 
I'm always struck by that verse in the Bible that says that Samson got up third time that he thought he was dabbling with Delilah and she was teasing him and he told her all of his heart. And every time she said, behold, the Philistines are upon you, he would jump, and jump up, his strength would return and he'd throw the Philistines around. But the final time when they cut off his hair, he got up, he didn't know his hair was gone, he didn't know his strength had left him, he did not know the spirit had departed. And that always made me shudder because something about backsliding, it doesn't happen quickly. That's why we call it sliding. It's not back jumping. It's not back walking or running or hopping. It happens imperceptibly. You slide. I remember I was parked at a light one day and uh, I wondered why all the cars around me suddenly went into reverse and started to back up. And then I realized my foot had sort of slipped off the brake a little bit and it was idling forward. It was me. And I thought everybody else was going backwards. You can lose your perceptions. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, for you who were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For have, you should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame to even speak of those things that are done in secret. And, you know, just like Lot, we're living in a world where we're surrounded with the days of Lot and Sodom, the days of Noah and Sodom. Jesus said, this is how it will be just before the days of the Son of Man. And uh, we, we can just see it on every, every side. But what happens, friends, what I'm afraid of, I see it in my own heart, is that little by little, as the standards of the world go down, and the debauchery and the ungodliness and the paganism in the world, the church always feels like we should just be a little better than the world, and somehow that means we're holy. But if you look at it on a sliding scale, the standards of the church are today lower than where the standards of the world used to be. And I don't mean just our church, I mean at large. Martin Luther, John Wesley, Calvin would turn over in their graves if they could see what's happened to people that take their name, claim to believe their doctrines, what their idea of holiness is. We have a long way to go in being like Jesus. God wants to pour out his spirit. I, I think that even during our, um, our talk about Bible studies, someone was reading a quote. It said, we need to pray that God will remove the obstacles to the outpouring of the spirit. Is there a possibility that we're getting used to the dark? The Bible talks about the lost. These are wells without water. 2 Peter 2.17, carried around by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Alexander Pope had a short poem. Vice is a monster of so frightful a mien as to be hated needs but to be seen, yet too often seen familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. 
little by little, you come to the place where what once was a monster, you find yourself embracing. Can this happen to the church? Can it happen to us? Surrounded in a world with so much sin, and through exposure, you become changed by beholding. And the only way as Christians that we can grow in holiness and sanctification is if we compensate for the blizzard of worldliness that, that is swirling around us by feeding our souls. And if, now follow me, friends. Tell me if this makes sense. Is there more media bombarding our senses today than there ever has been before? I mean, just on every side, you've got everything from billboards to magazines to the internet, television, radio. Every possible sense is being bombarded with information now, unlike anything before. All you need now is a smartphone. My smartphone makes me feel pretty dumb because I don't know how to use it. Matter of fact, I'll confess today I went to the Verizon store in Alma. Is that it? I was asking the guy about how to use my phone. I've only had it six months, and I still can't figure it out. But what I do know is that the Apostle Peter would think that I was demon-possessed if I showed him how I could search all the libraries of the world with this device in my hand, and you just Google it, and it's got all this information. And so, and the young people, they're walking around all the time. They got you know, their headphones on, their heads are in the clouds, literally, a Google cloud. And just streaming. There's enough music right now online where they could take a spacecraft to Pluto and back and never hear the same song twice. Isn't that right? And since we're being bombarded with all this information, you don't think the devil has something to do with that? And granted, I'm thankful there's some things you can do on the internet that are good. The internet is sort of a tree of good and evil. It's wonderful to be able to search truth and find it. And Amazing Facts is certainly using the internet. But the devil can use those things too. God can use a book and so can the devil. So if we're going to compensate, since we're a generation that is being bombarded then more than any other with the wrong messages, this needs to be a generation that is saturated with the Word of God. I'm thrilled to hear the appeals and the campaigns and programs for getting everybody involved in Bible study because if you want to see your faith grow, get involved in sharing your faith with someone else. And it is such a thrill for me. I'm meeting different folks here at camp meeting. I've heard some wonderful testimonies and I never get tired, especially when the kids come up. I never get tired of hearing how someone says, you know, I was in darkness. I was blind. And then we stumbled on to... 3ABN or Amazing Facts or one of these programs and, and now I know what the purpose of life is. To go from darkness to light. There's nothing better, friends. Now that was my introduction. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John is a visual gospel. Matter of fact, if you, I took my pen one time and I went to John chapter 1. I just started to underline all the times that I found references to light and sight. John is definitely the most visual of the gospel writers. I think I found 27 times in the first chapter. Words like look and behold and see and light. All sort of visual in nature. 
And he has a lot to say about it. And you go to John chapter 9, tells a story. And as Jesus passed by, and it's during a time of a feast, and he's heading in towards Jerusalem, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, there must have been something about his appearance where they could tell his blindness did not come upon him through one of the typical diseases. His eyes were somehow, you know, all puckered up where he had never seen, and they could tell. And the disciples could tell. And they asked him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, we always want to know whose fault is it? And people are, are born, and you know, this is one of the hardest things to explain to folks. They say, if God is love, and if he is good, and if God is kind, then why are there innocent children born with devastating... Why would children say, if God is good, why? They didn't do anything. Whose fault is it? And, I, you know, I used to wonder that. My brother was born with a terminal disease, and my whole life growing up, I watched him struggle to breathe. He had cystic fibrosis, struggled with a bunch of other connected ailments, and he didn't do anything. I saw him go to the hospital and the doctors had to open him up twice, just from bow to stern with various surgeries and, and uh, he struggled. And I thought, what did he do? Now, my mom and dad were real characters and that might be part of the reason my brother suffered. I don't know. I mean, talking about, you know, sometimes parents can drink and it can affect the children or who knows. Both parents smoke. I don't know. You want to blame somebody. Whose fault is it? And Jesus said, and you know, it was interesting. They said, was it his parents' fault or was it his fault? Uh, you could understand why he might say it was his parents' fault. I'm not agreeing with that, but you can understand that the parents' behavior might somehow lead to a birth defect. Well, how could it be his fault? He wasn't born yet. What did he do wrong? Well, evidently, their theology back in that day was since God was all-knowing, God knew he was going to live a wicked life, and so he's just punishing him in advance. Yeah, they had some mixed-up views. And Jesus didn't go very deep into it, but he said, neither. Sometimes we want to know why, and it's not at all what we think. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Now, Jesus is getting ready to do something. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, what was Jesus talking about? First of all, during Christ's time, during the time of Jesus, from, for three and a half years after the cross, the gospel spread like wildfire through Jerusalem and Judea. And then during the time of the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution arose. Probation had closed for the Israel as a nation during that time at the end of the 490-year prophecy. And there was a great persecution and a great resistance. And Jesus said, look, i got to work among my people while there is light that remains because the time is coming. You're not going to have the freedom to preach the gospel the way we do now. Now, not only was that true during the time of Christ and the apostles back then, but I think those words are true today. We need to work while we can work for the night is coming in which it is going to be very difficult to work. And someday, you're going to remember what I'm telling you. You know, people always look back on the good old days. They don't ever know it's the good old days until they're looking back on them. 
And someday we're going to look back and we're going to think, wow, if we had only known the kind of resistance and persecution we were going to encounter in preaching the gospel, we would have done more to pour our resources into getting the message out while we could. Because the night is coming. The night is coming, friends. And we're going to find ourselves trying to do with great difficulty what we can do now with relative ease. And then Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what did he mean? When Jesus left the world, did he stop being the light? No, he was still the light, but now he's the light through the ones that reflected his light. A couple ways you can shed light. One is to shine the light. The other is to reflect the light. You've got the light of the sun, then you've got the light of the moon, and the moon really just reflects the light of the sun. And the intensity of one is a lot better than the other, but I'd rather walk in the dark place with moonlight than no light. You and I are to reflect his light. Not only did Jesus say, I am the light of the world, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. We don't have any light of our own except as he illuminates us and Christ shines out of us. Amen? So I must work while I'm in the world. Now, while he's having this conversation, he now... He stoops down. This man is there begging. His parents had brought him to this post. It was during a feast. He expected to have a good day. Feast. People were feeling maybe generous and, and uh, you know, wanting to atone or whatever. And he found that begging was good during those times. And it says, Jesus spat on the ground. There's three times in the Bible Jesus healed somebody in connection with spitting. He spat on the ground and he made some clay from the dust with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man. Now, this is interesting because, you know, with Bartimaeus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And he asked. This man doesn't ask. There's no dialogue. It's not, Jesus doesn't even get permission. He just says, hold still. And he starts to put this clay on this man's eyes. I don't know if any of you, when you were uh, young, did your parents or grandparents ever like spit on their hand and wash your face? No wonder we're messed up. <laughs> I think we probably did it to our kids too. You know, about to go into a public place, you suddenly look down at them and you know, they got smears. You go, oh, what do, you, what do I do? <laughs> it's called a spit shine. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Jesus, it is holy. And he made this clay. What did he make Adam out of? And he put it on the eyes of the blind man. And he said to him, go wash. Now, why didn't he lead him? Why didn't he say, well, he could have just spoken. He could have had his eyes open. One time he spit on him. His eyes, and right there, first he opened his eyes, and then were like trees walking, and then he saw clearly the second round, and he did it in degrees. But for some reason, he said, now I want you to go, and I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. And that pool means sent, or it means sending, sending forth. So he went, and that man, tapping along with his woods of stick, and he knew how many steps it was, and this is a pool that's at the south end of Hezekiah's tunnel. And he knew how many steps it was down to the pool and he tapped his way down and he kind of knelt there by the water and didn't want to get too close when you're blind. And he just did what he was told. And he, you know, someone puts clay on your eyes, you want to wash it off. And as he's splashing the water on his face and he's washing 
The Bible says this man was born blind. He had never seen anything before. He had heard dogs bark, but he didn't know what a dog looked like. He didn't know what colors were. He had heard birds sing. He would heard the rustle of leaves. His other senses were obviously accentuated. But he had no idea. And wouldn't you like to uh, just imagine the expression on his face when he splashes that water up and does it once or twice and rubs his eyes and all of a sudden light comes exploding into his mind. And just a rainbow of color. And he looks around the pool and this information is just coming like a freight train into his mind. And he falls back on his haunches and he's looking around somewhat terrified with joy. And he realizes, so this is what it means to see. And everywhere he looks, he's going, oh, oh, ah, oh, ah. Just, I mean, one of you, you've never seen what people look like. He'd heard girls' voices, but he'd never seen a girl before. And he went, ooh. <laughs> he said, can you just think of all the, all the information? And he is so happy. He's still wearing rags, but he's thrilled. And he's wondering, oh, oh, this is so great. He doesn't know if it's going to last. If his eyes closed after one day, he would have been thankful. Because the rest of his life, I mean, you know, when you've been blind your whole life, you'd be thankful for one day of sight because now everything you look at is contextualized. Where before you had no idea. You smelled things and you heard things and you, you touched things, but now you see things. And all of a sudden, everything changes. That's what it's like for people that are out there in the world that don't know the gospel. And when they find Jesus, they go, wow. Isn't it exciting when new people come into the church and they're just on fire? And they just, they want to tell the world and they're wondering why the members aren't more excited? Isn't it sad when we lose our first love? Don't you pray that we could once again be carbonated Christians? just be overflowing artesian Christians where we're so excited we rediscover what it means to know the gospel. This man is so excited. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him who was blind they said, is not this he who sat and begged? Now he's walking tosses his cane aside. Others said he's like him. Now why were they saying that? Well maybe something physically changed with his eyes certainly it looks different when you look and you ever seen a person when you look in their face and they got that faraway look because they're just tired? Eyes kind of glass. Even a person with good vision can look like they're not seeing anything. Sometimes Karen will ask me, what are you thinking? I say, nothing. She says, well, you look like you're thinking nothing. <laughs> you know, you get that look. You just, and all of a sudden when a person has the glint of recognition in their eye where the eyes are focusing and they're sharp, Sometimes if a person gets bonked on the head, a good doctor will take a flashlight and look in their eyes to see if anybody's home. Right? And now suddenly they look at him and say, is that him? Because what's coming out of his eyes, Jesus said, the light of the body, the eye is the, is the light of the body. It's the light of the soul. 
There's something different about it. Now he sees. And they said, he doesn't even look the same. He doesn't look the same because of the understanding that he has. The gospel changes everything about you. You even look different. And he's hearing them all talk about him like he's lost his hearing as well. And he said, no, no, it's me. I was blind. And they said to him, what happened? How were your eyes open? He said, a man called Jesus. He probably heard the disciples addressing him. He made clay and he anointed my eyes and he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. You know sometimes the Lord heals people anonymously. Every now and then we'll hear about somebody that maybe didn't even know the Lord and he works a miracle for them. And that's just because God is good. And they maybe find the Lord later and this is what happened to this man. And they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. And they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees asked him and said, who had received his sight, what did he do? He put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. That's what happened. By the way, I think it's interesting that he washed his eyes at the pool called Sending. After baptism, it's like God said to Isaiah, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And after his eyes were opened and he was washed, it happened at the pool of sending. And he ends up becoming a witness to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they said, how did he do this? He put clay on my eyes, I washed and I see. And that just seems so simple. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man can't be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is such a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And isn't it amazing that they could be upset that Jesus would open this man's eyes? All he had done was broken their tradition. He did not break a commandment. There was nothing said, nothing in the writings of Moses. There's nothing in the law that said there would be anything wrong with relieving suffering like that. And you think about it, and just a little bit of work that went into doing that. I mean, it takes more energy to sneeze than what Jesus did. And they're calling it a sin. Calling him a sinner. And they asked him again. It can't, can't be from God. Verse 17. They said to the blind man, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. First of all, he foretold that if you go wash, you'd see, and he did. But the Jews did not believe concerning him who had been blind and received a sight. They were trying to explain it through some natural means. They thought it was a deception. They were trying to be philosophical. They called the parents in of him who had received a sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? You know, sometimes a person will be misdiagnosed, and they're blind for 24 hours, and they said, I was blind, and now I see. And they were never really blind. Just, it was temporary, but this man was born blind. Now, there's probably doctors here that will help straighten me out, but the way I understand it is that 
when children are born with certain optical maladies, if they do not restore their sight within a predetermined period of time, the part of the brain that learns to process light doesn't work. So even if they have corrective surgery, they never will see because the brain has lost its ability to interpret light. Is that right? That's what I understand. Which means that this was a double miracle because even though not only did he heal his eyes, he healed the part of his brain that was supposed to interpret sight. Like that lady Marianne Franco hadn't seen in 20 years to get all your sight back again with color to boot. I still believe in miracles. Now they're asking his parents, how does he now see? Now they've already, they had seen the look in the Pharisee's face. They knew how they wanted to get rid of Jesus. And they knew that they were threatening to excommunicate him. But you know, back then it was, it was serious business. If you were a Jew and you were cast out of the temple, your name taken off the books. They considered you cut off from God and you, you became a social outcast and there was a lot of um, scorn that was associated with that. And they'd already been warned, if, if you say that Jesus is the prophet, they're going to kick you out. And his parents said, they gave the politically correct answer. We know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But what by what means now he sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, check his driver's license, he is of age. He will speak for himself. We are not responsible. And it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone that confessed that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, you ask him. So again, they called the man out. See, they, they, they brought his parents in. They had kicked him out. Now they send them out and they bring him back in. They're interrogating him. And they said, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. This man, this simple blind man who had been a beggar, who'd been blind all of his life, he has such clarity in his answer. And he says in verse 25, one of the great statements in the Bible, he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know is that though I was blind, now I see. You know, people cannot argue with your personal testimony. The most powerful sermon when we do our evangelism training, uh, we tell all of this, students, the most powerful sermon that you have is what Jesus has done for you. So make sure you've got that first sermon. And you might think, well, Pastor Doug, you know, you grew up in the world and you kind of went through a somewhat colorful conversion and I grew up in the church and what's my story? You, you all have to find Jesus. That doesn't mean go out in the world and do all these terrible things and hope you'll get converted and come back in again. Because usually that doesn't work that way. I actually, I tell you that because I met a lady one time who said to me, I hear your testimony and I'm a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist and I just feel like, you know, I've just, maybe if I go out there in the world and I do all these wild things and then get converted, then I'll really appreciate salvation. And she did. She did leave the, world, the church. Last I heard, she went out into the world. She began to live a very immoral life and I never heard of her coming back. That's a, don't think that. God is not saying you've got to go out there and do terrible things. Realize that all of us are sinners. doesn't matter whether you've been raised in the church or you've grown up in the world. 
if you don't personally understand what sin is and that Jesus came to save you from your sins, and it doesn't matter if you're out in the world on drugs or you're lost in the church. If you're lost, you're lost. You don't have to try to be more lost than someone else. If you know you're lost, if you're blind, you're blind. In some ways, I think it's even more difficult for people in the church because uh, who was it that said one time some people grow up with just enough religion to inoculate them against catching the real thing? But you, you really think about it if you're lost and then you're found. And he's very perceptive. He says, you can argue with me all you want. I'm just telling you, I know I was blind and I know now I see. And if you guys want to work out what you think of Jesus, that's up to you. But uh, they said, what do you think? I think he's a prophet. What did he do to you? How did he open you? And they keep going. You know what police use as a method of interrogation? If you're trying to convict a person, you keep asking them to repeat their alibi. Keep asking them to repeat their story until they mix it up a little bit and then seize on the inconsistency. And so they keep asking them, what happened, what happened, what happened? He said, look, I, I, he came up, put clay on my eyes. I don't know where it came from. I couldn't see. It says, go wash in the pool. I tapped my way to the pool. I washed. I see. And you all look really strange, but I see. I don't know that he said that. But, you know, he probably was. You think about it. I mean, even while he's there before this Supreme Court, he's probably just grinning from ear to ear. They're all arguing about the method by which he sees, and they're, they're, they're wanting him to, you know, be upset with Jesus for opening his eyes on the Sabbath. And he's just going, well, oh, look at that. Whoa, just look at flies. I had no idea what a fly looked like. Look at that. And he's just he's smiling. He's still his first day with sight. You think he's gotten over the glow of that yet? So they're trying to upset him. They cannot take away his joy. Because when you've been blind all your life and you see, that's good news. He was so excited. One thing I know is I was blind and now I see. And they said, how did it happen? Verse 27, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> In other words, that was the wrong thing to say to them. And they indignant, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. Then they were insinuating his, the unusual things around the birth of Jesus, the rumors. The man answered, again, very perceptive. He couldn't see, but he could talk. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. This is remarkable that you don't know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. As truly as God spoke and man came into existence, or God formed man from the dust of the earth and he spoke light into existence, it is a miracle of creation that I now see, is what he's implying. He says, now we know that God does not hear sinners. Well, he's not talking about a prayer of repentance. He's talking about where it says, if we shut our ears through hearing the law, our prayer is an abomination. There are verses in the Old Testament that talks about God hearing the prayers of the righteous. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, by the way, it does say in John, whatsoever things we ask, we receive of him because we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So his theology is not wrong there. God does hear the prayers of sinners, but you can't 
you know, expect to give God your shopping list if you're living in rebellion. Since the world began, it is unheard of that anyone should open the eyes of one who is born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. So here he is instructing the Pharisees and the leaders. And they, they just, that was all they could take. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And you're teaching us. The reason you're blind is because of your sinfulness. That's what they're implying. And they cast him out. And when they threw him out of the synagogue that day, they were throwing him out of the church. What had he done wrong? He just told the truth. Now, I'm not going to take this very far, but we do need to consider who is blind in this story. The man or the religious leaders? And they cast him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, Jesus got built-in GPS. He found him and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He recognized the voice and he says sort of rhetorically, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he that is talking with you. He says, now you see him and you hear him. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him, fell at his feet and grabbed him by the ankles. He is so happy. He doesn't regret at all that he has confessed Jesus. And Christ says, for judgment I've come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind or at least their blindness be made manifest. And some of the Pharisees were overhearing him talk to this man. They heard these words, they said, are we blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. To whom much is given, much is required. There has never been a movement on the face of the earth that has been given more light of truth than this movement. And that means that there's great accountability that has been given to us to walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, will wash us from all of our sin. It's not enough just to know the light. He wants us to walk in the light. And I touched on something, but friends, as we near the end, it should not surprise us. Keep in mind, the Jewish people, not all of them, but the nation and many of the religious leaders, they had the Bible, they had the heritage, they had the truth, they had the prophecies. If you asked them, they would have said, we believe the Bible. But here they were rejecting the truth. They were rejecting Christ, who is the truth. And here they were in the church and they were blind. They were rejecting the light that lights every man that comes into the world. The world is not condemned for being in darkness. This is condemnation that God sends light into the world and men love darkness rather than light. You know, there's a, some children out there. It's a pretty rare disease and it's called xeroderma pigmatosum. They call them children of the night and they've got, uh, it's, it's a genetic problem the way I understand. I know my friend, Dr. David DeRose, he's actually one of the elders in our church in California. And I came, so I keep an eye on him out here. And uh, 
I, it's very rare, I don't know if it's one in a million, these children are born with some genetic problem where their cells do not have the ability to repair damage caused by light. Now all of us are exposed to light all the time and our cells are constantly repairing. It's actually healthy a certain amount of light. But if you don't have that, then there's a danger that uh, it, it causes all kinds of problems. They can get skin cancer very easily. They're, they're, they can go blind from the light damaging their eyes. And as soon as they're diagnosed as having this disease, the parents have to keep them in the dark all the time. Even radiating or polarizing light coming through a window can damage them. And so they have to wear sunglasses. If they ever go out, they do it at night, and the parents even slather them then with suntan lotion and cover every part of their body, and they kind of have to live their lives in darkness. It's sad. Can't go out and play with the other kids. Compelled to live in the dark knowing there's a world of light out there. You and I are surrounded with, they call them XP children. Even though it's zero derma, it's, pronounced, it's spelled X-E-R-O derma. They call them XP children. The world is surrounded by people that are living in the darkness. And God wants us to be the vehicles to bring them the light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts and given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I can be vehicles of bringing light and healing to these people. One of my favorite verses, you know, if you ever use a red letter edition Bible, you're going to find a few examples of red letters in the book of Acts. And one example of this is in Acts 26, where Paul is talking about the message of the gospel. Jesus said to Paul, when he called him on the road to Damascus, I've called you to open their eyes. And the message to Paul is a message to each one of us. He says, I've called you to be a witness. And Jesus told Paul, I've called you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the whole gospel in that verse. I'm going to read it again. The message is we're called to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Satan is the prince of darkness. That they may, why? That they might receive forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance, an eternal inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That meant a lot to Paul when Jesus said that because when Jesus introduced himself to Paul, that light was so bright that it struck him blind. And Paul spent three days blind and God gave him that blindness to help him realize, and Paul thought that he had great light. He was persecuting Christians. He was listening to some of these same religious leaders that had condemned Jesus to death. And he thought he knew the Lord, and he was wrong. You know, the Lord tells us in the last days, those who kill you will think they're offering service to God. And even from your, among your own selves, wolves will arise, not sparing the flock. And so Paul was blind for three days. God needed to get his attention. And when Ananias came and he laid his hands on Paul and he prayed for him, the scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. Was he happy? Except he didn't see the same as he saw before, did he? 
After Ananias prayed for him, after Paul spent three days in blindness and darkness praying, when his eyes were opened, he saw the whole world differently. He saw that everybody else was blind and God had given him the light. And he spent the remainder of his life sharing the light of the world with a world in darkness. All of us need to have that same experience with Jesus. Now, it may not be the road of Damascus where he kind of knocks us off our horse. Actually, never says he was riding a horse in the story. But uh, his encounter with Jesus, we all need to have an encounter with Jesus. We need to see the light, as they say. And uh, God wants to turn us from darkness to his light that we might have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, be saved from the power of the devil. This is a wonderful message, Lord, uh, our friends, because uh, the Lord has told each one of us that he wants us to have this experience of seeing. He wants us to have the joy of that man who had been blind from birth. And, uh, you know, it's, that's what it's about, is being born again. He could finally see for the first time, like a baby. Isn't it wonderful when you look in the eyes of a baby, especially when they're, you know, you want, when they're like three months old. Right when they, they're first born, you know, they all look a little bit like raisins. But, and, and, you know, their eyes are kind of cloudy and, and stuff. But, uh, boy, when their eyes are just crystal, crystal clear, and they look at the world with such innocent wonder, and this is what the Lord wants, when you're born again, that like that man, I want to get the video in heaven and go back and see his expression when he washed that clay off his eyes and his eyes began to flicker and he fell back and saw the light and just to see for the first time. It would be joyful to just share in his joy. Have you ever brought anybody to Jesus? Nothing thrills me more than seeing the light turn on. You're doing evangelism, you're preaching the word, and you can even see it happening. There's like a glint of recognition. All of a sudden, they've got this aha experience, this revelation of the gospel that God is real, and he, Jesus reveals himself to them. And there's such joy that floods into their lives. He wants us to have that experience. He wants us to have that first love, that wonder, that thrill. That man could not be intimidated. There's nothing anybody could say to him to take away his experience because he had an experience of coming out of darkness into marvelous light. The world is in gross darkness. That's deep, intense darkness right now. Just before the Lord comes, at midnight, the bridegroom shouts that the bridegroom is coming. It's at the darkest hour. And friends, I think we're, we're reaching that point now. And that day star is going to come. Christ is going to come soon. We want to have an experience with him, and we want to share the good news with others. Is that your desire? Let's stand together, and let's pray and ask him. Father in heaven, Lord, as we consider this truth of how Jesus is the light of the world and that he's shining that light upon us, he's speaking light into our lives just as he did into this dark abyss 6,000 years ago. Lord, we pray that you will illuminate our hearts and minds with the power of your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help us to experience the wonder and the joy, the thrill of coming out of darkness into your marvelous light. We pray the scales will fall from our eyes and we'll, we'll realize what darkness we've been in. 
And the Lord will be so happy to see clearly and to understand where we're going and what our purpose is, not have to be fumbling around with a cane or be led by the hand, but to be able to walk in the light as he is in the light. Help us to have that experience, Lord. And then, because of the joy in our hearts, I pray we will be the means of bringing that light to others. Lord, you've given this church, your people in the last days, great light. And I pray that we'll appreciate that, that we'll understand what a, what a privilege it is, and yet what an awesome responsibility. Help us, Lord, to not only be looking at the light, but help us be walking in the light. I pray that you'll bless each person through the Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and I pray the Spirit will show us how to apply these things. May we be fully consecrated to you. Please bless the remainder of this camp meeting. Thank you for the Sabbath that's approached now, and we just pray that we can find both physical and spiritual rest and invigoration in its sacred hours. Be with us during this time, Lord. We pray that we can honor you with our words and our thoughts. In Christ's name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.